Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Oh Lord, we pray that you would help us this very morning, for we are weak and needy, and we indeed need your help. Lord, help us as you breathe life into these words through the Spirit within us. Lord, that we would see that there are many persecutors and adversaries that surround us, but let us not swerve from your testimonies. Lord, let us look and keep your commandments. Let us hold fast to your promises as we see the love which is found in your word. Give us life according to your steadfast love, that the sum of your word is truth. And every one of your righteous rules endures forever. We pray, Lord, we would rest not in our own truth, but in your truth, given to us in your word, found in Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Hear now the word of the Lord from uh, Exodus chapter 7, verse 14 to 25. This is God's holy, inerrant, infallible, life-giving word. Please take heed how you hear. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he is going out to the water. Stand on the bank of the Nile to meet him. And take in your hand the staff you turned into a serpent. And you shall say to him, The Lord God of Hebrews sent me to you, saying, Let my people go that you may serve me in the wilderness. They may serve me in the wilderness. But so far, you have not obeyed. Thus says the Lord, By this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, with the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water that is in the Nile, and it shall turn into blood. The fish in the Nile shall die. And the Nile will stink, and the Egyptians will grow weary of drinking water from the Nile. And the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over their rivers, their canals, and their ponds, and all their pools of water, so that they may become blood. And there shall be, a blood, shall be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, in the vessels of wood and the vessels of stone. Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded. In the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants, he lifted up the staff and struck the water in the Nile. And all the water in the Nile turned into blood. And the fish in the Nile died. And the Nile stank. And so the Egyptians could not drink water from the Nile. There was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. But the magicians of Egypt did the same by their secret arts. So Pharaoh's heart remained hardened, and he would not listen to them, as the Lord had said. Pharaoh turned and went into his house, and he did not take even this to heart. And all the Egyptians dug along the Nile for water to drink, but they could not drink the water of the Nile. Seven full days passed after the Lord had struck the Nile. The grass withers. And the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. 
We find ourselves at the beginning of what is called the uh, commonly called the plagues. Again, I think this is a, a biblical term. You can refer to them as plagues. And we find ourselves when we come to uh, when we preach through the book of books of the Bible uh, progressively. What we find is I always know what the next verse is that I am going to begin preaching. We stop at verse thirteen. It is always easy to know that I am picking up in verse fourteen. However, the difficult part is how much of the next section do we preach? What is classified that next section of the book of the Bible that we begin to preach through? Now, we are beginning what is commonly called the the ten plagues, Uh, although I think this is a biblical term for it. I I mentioned that I I really want to emphasize what Exodus seeks to be able to emphasize in all of this, and that is that I'm hesitant to be able to use this term because in Exodus, what is commonly referred to is not plagues, but signs and wonders or even acts of judgment. And I think if you return to plagues, you look at merely the, the outcome of what happens, the effect that is caused on creation. But signs and wonders point to someone who uh, performs those signs, the actor, you might say or even to be able to call them great signs or acts of judgment. That when we look at a plague, we look at the recipient, what happens to creation, but the sign has the performer, the wonder has an actor, not in some pretend way, but there is an origin of these things. And that is the key in all of this, these, these signs and wonders, is the Lord is the one who is in power and has control over all things. This is the focus on all the chapters. You might even say from chapter 5 to 13. That God goes to great lengths to be able to save His people from and judge those who have oppressed His people. He shows His outstretched arm to be able to redeem those whom He's claimed to be His. So as we begin these next ten signs and wonders... The question I had within myself was, how do you preach through these? Now, you can do them all together. You, you preach through all ten or even the first nine of them together. There, there's a common unity that is found within all of these signs and wonders. They show God's power over creation, over the false gods of Egypt. You see that here even in this passage. Here throughout all of it, the Lord is the one who is in control, who has power over all things. Here the Lord is the one who shows His power. In verse 23, as the Lord had said, everything carries out as the Lord had told it would happen. God shows His power by changing all the water within the nation of Egypt, into blood. Now we see that Pharaoh's wise men and his magicians show their power. But all of it lies within the Lord's hands. They are only merely to be able to replicate it and not on the national scale. They're not able... If they were really powerful, they would be able to stop 
the sign and wonder from happening. Turning the water, the blood back into water. It shows God's power over all of creation. It shows God's preservation over the people of Egypt, uh, over the people of Israel. Throughout all the signs, we see a progression that happens. They're divided into three sets of three. And the first three really affect everybody, but even in this passage, what is emphasized is that it causes a great harm to the people of Egypt. It's the Egyptians who go and try and find more water. It's the Egyptians who are seeking to be able to handle all these things. But God preserves his people. There are times when those who listen to God's word, their livestock is saved from the hail. That the darkness does not fall on the land of Goshen where those where the people of God are dwelling. God watches over, preserves his people. These signs and wonders together also show God's punishment of Pharaoh. That here the people who have oppressed God suffer greatly. Death comes in different forms throughout different things, but there's an emphasis throughout all of this. That as the signs and wonders progress, they progressively get worse. You might be able to divide the the ten plagues or ten signs and wonders into uh, five, two groups of five, where the fifth plague has the death of the livestock, the tenth plague has the death of the firstborn. But in all of these signs and wonders, there's unity that is held within them all. God's power. God's preservation, God's punishment. And these are common themes that we will bring up as we go through them all, as we see them each time. And preaching through ten signs and wonders can be very helpful to be able to see the overall purpose, not to get bogged down in the weeds, to be able to try and find specific points within all of this time when you're really having repetition Time and time again, as I said, there's three signs, three groups of three. And there's a repetition that is found within these three groups of three. The very first sign begins with Pharaoh going out to the Nile in the morning and Moses coming and greeting Pharaoh at the Nile. And then what happens is throughout the the second and the third section of those three, he is to go and speak to Pharaoh. There's unity within these signs. There's patterns that you could see. And preaching through those ten signs and wonders can be helpful. However, really it comes down to a practical point for me. And that is, I believe, that not merely in the preaching of God's Word, but also in the reading of God's Word, that a large part of how we have and find a sermon text is that we read through it first. We pray for the Lord to open our hearts and our minds as we read the Scriptures together. And so, any sermon that I preach, I want to make sure that I've read the whole portion of text before us. And if we were to read the ten signs and wonders, or even the nine signs and wonders, it would take roughly about 27 minutes. Now, for someone who tries to preach around 30, 35 minutes, then our sermon would then be about three minutes long, or maybe eight minutes long. And therefore, the exposition of the text is not that 
helpful. So it comes down to a practical reason why we're going through it a little bit slower. The other option is you preach through the nine signs and wonders with a sermon each. And you go through each of them individually. And if you know my preaching style, this is probably not that much of a surprise to you. One member told me recently that in a former life, I must have been a dairy farmer because I'm able to milk out uh, a lot, milk out the passage. Now, what's the good aspect of doing it that way is you see the diversity, that the Lord did not merely just give one big sign and wonder, but what you see is the Lord gave many multiple signs and wonders as he went through. God's sovereignty not merely over water, but all of his creation, over life, over the Egyptian gods, as he shows his power. But as you look through these sections, Moses, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, does not spend an equal amount of time on all nine signs and wonders. The third great sign and wonder of Nats, he only devotes four verses to. Whereas the seventh wonder, he devotes 23 verses to it. Or if you divide it up into those three sections before, the first three wonders have 31 verses, the second set have 25 verses, and the last three have a total of 51 verses. So all that to say, if we go through these wonders and, and, and to be able to divide them up in, into individual signs and wonders, there's a helpfulness in that. But it also can be trying, again, in the gnats, trying to draw something out that might not be there. So out of these 107 verses that cover these signs, we'll either be doing one or two, pointing out, again, the unity in the section, but also trying to spend enough time as the Holy Spirit has allocated enough of these times. We'll spend about seven sermons covering just about uh, 15 verses on average. Today we're going to cover the first sign and more of a broad overview and an introduction as the, the first sign gives us to be able to lay down those common things, those unities as mentioned before, the power, the, the preservation, the, the punishment. So what do we see? We see a pattern in the signs. A pattern in the signs. It's not merely just ten random signs that happen over the course of multiple years. But what we see is there's a pattern as we go through these signs that each of these signs seems to be getting progressively worse. To be able to go through a great horrendous thing like even one of these things would cause a great amount of discomfort, death, loss. But as you can see, these, these nine signs, these three groups of three, there's this is pattern that goes through. And each time, there's the, it, it, it grows in its scale, in its largeness. Pharaoh goes out to the, the, the Nile in the morning. And again, this is not merely just this pattern that we see of just commenting. Really believes a couple of commentators pointed out that here, Pharaoh is going down either to bathe, as we saw earlier, in the book of Exodus in chapter 2, but more likely that Pharaoh is going down to worship. 
that here the Lord meets Pharaoh as he's about to enter his, his temple, his sanctuary, to be able to worship the gods of the Egyptians. That here he is going down, and we see a very important thing, that in this pattern, that each of these signs and wonders shows the power of God over the false gods of the Egyptians. That here, the Nile has many gods that are connected to it, but the main important one is Hopi, which is symbolized with a, a, a man with a beard with a pregnant belly. And here, this, this Nile is meant to represent life, fertility. But what happens? The Nile then turns to death. Death comes upon the Nile. The, the, the God which they're meant to sacrifice and, and give life and nourishment it, it becomes death. It becomes a stench. The Israelites said to Pharaoh, that, to Moses, that you have made us a stench to the Egyptians. But here the Nile, the life-giving source of all of Egypt, becomes a stench to the Egyptians. Death is around them. I mean, that's hard really for us to be able to begin to fathom. We think, oh, merely the waters just turn to a red color, and that's a possibility. In other passages, it says the moon will be turned to blood. But I think here death is the main key point of this part, that death comes to those to fish. But again, when we think about the power of the, the wise men, they're not able to revert back to bring life out of death. Their power has limits. Their gods, which they worship, which are meant to give the Egyptians life, they cannot sustain it. And so you have this, and when we think then about God, God, who formed life out of nothing in all of creation, chaos ensued. He brought order and uniformity to creation. And, and some of these plagues are seen as a reversal of that order and chaos. That order and chaos falls upon this mini-creation of Egypt. But yet, Lord is in control. And we think about death coming to the Nile. But the Lord then is able to take death and bring life, unlike the Egyptian gods. Think about the Lord. He comes and he dies. But what does he do? He turns death into life, as we read in Corinthians. That here death becomes the hope of the gospel. That the resurrection of life becomes where we put our faith and our trust. But overall, in this pattern, we also see something very clear. Now, it happens in different ways, but ultimately, Moses gets told from Pharaoh, Moses gets told exactly what is going to happen. That thing happens, and then the Lord takes it away. It finishes. Now, in other times, the, the Pharaoh pleads, and one time, Pharaoh falsely repents, 
But we see God's sovereignty over all these things, his power to be able to to be able to do things, not merely just to be able to turn something and say, oh, oh the Lord did that. <laughs> the, the, Lord, the water turned to blood, therefore, oh yeah, we'll claim that, the Lord did that one. He's able to clearly tell and clearly warn Pharaoh what is going to happen. Now, in sometimes the Lord, in the first two of the three cycles, in the first two signs and wonders, in the third one, he does not get a warning. But the first two, he does. The Lord goes to Mo- Moses, goes to Pharaoh, and tells him exactly what's going to happen. But yet Pharaoh continually hardens his heart. He forgive, continually does not obey the Lord. God shows his, his whole power and control over creation, even his creatures, even Pharaoh. And by the end, the priests claim that they can't do it. This is a sign and a wonder from God. But again, notice their power is limited. They're only able to replicate something on a small scale, not carry it out on the national scale, the Lord does, nor unable to undo it. So we see the pattern. We hear then of a protest of the signs. Now, mainly just as, as a broad, in, instead of trying to explain all of them as we go through, just, just broadly speaking, many people have tried to explain these signs and wonders away. That merely they're just natural phenomena that happens. And what they say is that there's, there's heavy rainfall that comes in the Nile and that fills up all these other water sources that flow down. They bring the clay red soil down into the, uh, the, main, sor- the main Nile River. And then therefore the Nile then turns a reddish tinge because of all this red clay washing into the soil. And, and what happens is that organisms survive and flourish, and algae come to be able to produce themselves in this, this type of soil water. This has a run-on effect that the many of the, the oxygen that is in the water is not there as much as it used to be, and then f- fish are, die, and the fish begin to die, so the frogs begin to leave. And the frogs who have lived and been infected by this death carry that death out of the water and then they die all around. And then when the frogs die out, then the insects start to be able to come. And then once all the frogs have died out and all this has happened, the people are sick and ill and infection starts to be able to cover them with boils. And then there's storms including hail and locusts, dust storms that bring up the darkness that covers that region. And merely they just try and explain that this stuff doesn't happen. But I think what, what's important to see is that's not how the people in the Bible explain it. Not merely just Moses, the author, saying the Lord is doing this. Even the magicians and the, the sorcerers are able to say, this is an act of God. Now, if these things happen recent, re, uh, frequently, which these, these types of things did happen, If these things happen frequently, then Pharaoh has no reason to be able to ask for his magicians to be able to do that. You know, it's just like if I came up and said, soon there's a warning from God. The leaves are going to turn red and orange and start falling off if you don't listen to me. Now, are you going to listen to me or have you been around more than one fall where you've seen the leaves turn red and orange and fall off 
But yet that is not what the Bible depicts what happens. It's not merely just this natural yearly cycle that goes about. Pharaoh has a reaction. Pharaoh asks for the Lord to stop these things. If they're just natural, why would Pharaoh do that? But underlying all of this, I think, is an ignorance of those who claim such a stature. And and that ignorance is that we as the modern reader assume that the people back whenever they lived just didn't have the brains to be able to do things or understand things. The primitive people didn't understand the world. They don't understand the difference between red water and blood, or they don't understand things like agriculture. They don't understand why things are dark. They say this darkness fell over the earth, and they're like, someone points out, well, it's just a dust cloud. Didn't you see? They just claim that that these people had no idea. And we think that we as modern readers can explain all these things away. But the underlying bias that we come with those who protest these signs have this assumption that God does not exist. That God does not work through the supernatural in his world. They deny that and explain the only way is that we have to have a natural explanation. But if we believe the Bible, then we're going to have many times where we don't believe what happens. You just think of creation. How can God create everything out of nothing in the space of six days with the power of his voice? Well, that's impossible. How can a virgin conceive? How can a dead man be raised to life? How can a man ascend up into heaven? There are many things that we would just be left scratching our heads trying to explain away. But we know that there is a God over all creation. That the Bible explains that He is the one who was and is and is to come. But finally, in all this, what is the point of all of these signs? The ultimate point is the Lord is telling Pharaoh to be able to do something. He is showing his might and his power. He's preserving his people. Pharaoh will not have any of the answers. He will refuse to listen. God's power is shown through his defeat of Pharaoh to be able to set his people free finally in removing them. And here we need to see that the signs are not the thing that save the people. And again, if we we merely just call them natural phenomena, then God didn't save his people. Just the seasonal change saved his people. But here, the power of God in how he saves and delivers his people. When we think about this, to the great lengths of God coming in through the supernatural, intervening in the world, that Pharaoh might know who the Lord is. Pharaoh in chapter 5 says, I don't know who the Lord is. He will. God will show all of his power and his judgment on the people. 
that people will walk out rejoicing, singing about God, how God has delivered them. But these signs are a chance for Pharaoh to listen and obey. But they don't. The cross in, in 1 John is explained and John says that it is power through the water and the blood that we are saved. Through the cross becomes our time where God took on all the punishment and wrath. The cup which Christ drank for us. He took on death Himself that we do not have to die. But I think more in all of this, the signs and wonders also called the great act of judgment. Here, salvation comes to God's people, but through the signs and wonders comes a different judgment. Now, this is not the only time in the Bible where water is turned to blood. Actually, in Revelation chapter 16, there's these, the loud voice in the temple crying to these seven angels. And he says that to, to go out and pour on the earth the seven bowls of wrath. And the third angel goes out to be able to pour out his bowls into rivers and the springs of water. And they become blood. And I heard the angel in charge of the water say, Just are you, O Holy One, who is and who was, for you brought these judgments, for they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. Here this sign and wonder comes as an act of judgment. The Nile was once turned to blood once before. When Pharaoh said, discard all the young boys and throw them into the Nile. And here the Lord says, judgment is coming for you. Judgment is coming for you, how you have treated your people, my people. You have enslaved them, you have abused them, you have beaten them. Justice is coming. The ones who have shed the blood of the saints will suffer God's punishment. But in Revelation chapter 16, it goes on for those who were martyred. They cry out, Yes, Lord, God the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. Here we need to see that these are gracious acts of mercy but also great acts of judgment upon those who do not heed and listen to God's voice. Let's go to Lord in prayer. Let us pray. O gracious and most merciful Father, we thank you for passages like this. Although difficult to be able to see, Lord, help us to be able to understand and fathom that you are the just God who delivers just judgments to all those who oppose you. Lord, help us to be able to see that we are those not in Israel, but in Egypt who deserve this judgment and punishment. But yet through Christ Jesus, the one who bore this just punishment for us, 
took death upon himself that we might be able to have life through him. Help us to be able to understand in that last day when you come, there will be, there will be a great judgment and Christ will come to judge the quick and the dead. Help us to be able to trust in you as we proclaim the good news of the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ to all those who are perishing. We pray that they would hear, repent, and believe that they might know who the Lord is. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Seven Springs Presbyterian Church began in 1874 and is a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America located in Glade Spring, Virginia. Please join us for worship on Sunday at 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. for His glory and His gospel.